So you're ready to start investing, but you might only have a small amount of money. That's why I want to talk about how to start investing if you only have $500 to $1,000. I'm also going to talk about the best dividend stocks and the best dividend ETFs that you need to have on your watch list. I'm also going to talk about the differences between the 401k, the IRA, and the traditional brokerage account. And I'm going to finish it with eight investing mistakes that investors make. So hopefully you're not prone to making those same mistakes. How to invest $500 to $1,000. This is an interesting topic because I'm going to be making a lot of assumptions. If you have $500 to invest, which is a good amount of capital, but it's still a low amount of capital if you look at the long term of your investing journey. Because eventually you will want to invest more than $500. But if you have $500 to $1,000, what I want you to take away is the thought process, is the fundamentals. Your situation is more than likely different. So you might have less than $500 to invest. You might only have $300. Or you might have more than $1,000 to invest. You might have $5,000 or even $10,000. When I started out, I had between $5,000 to $10,000 to invest. But like I said, you can take this information and then apply it to your own situation and start building your own wealth. So some of the things that I want to talk about are going to be stocks, ETFs, bonds. I'm going to skip the index funds because with the more popular index funds, you're going to have to put down a large amount of capital just to start investing in them. For example, if you take the popular Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, which is the VFINX, the minimum amount is $3,000 to start investing in that fund. So that's why we will leave the index funds to the side and we will focus on the ETFs. I'm also going to look at aggressive and conservative portfolios, both $500 and $1,000. We'll also talk about diversification and how you can be emotionally sound when you invest in the stock market. We'll also talk about crypto a little bit, so let's just jump in. So I have my handy list of portfolios with me, both $500 and $1,000, broken out between aggressive and conservative. The first one we will look at is the aggressive $500 portfolio. Now, when I say aggressive, I'm talking about how risky and how risk-averse are you when it comes to investing. Because the more riskier investments are going to be stocks. Fixed income assets, such as bonds, are going to bring stability to your portfolio. So in a bull market, everything is looking great. Stocks are shooting up. But in a bear market, stocks are dipping down. And your bond, your fixed income assets, that will provide stability to your portfolio. The first thing that you want to pay attention to when it comes to your $500 aggressive portfolio is the VOO ETF, which is the Vanguard 500 Index Fund ETF. You want to buy one of them. Currently, it's priced at 366 And the Vanguard S&P 500 is an index of the 500 biggest companies in the U.S. The next one you want to look at is the VXUS, which currently is only about $52. You only want to buy one share of that ETF also. The VXUS is the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund, ETF. And since this is a total international ETF, you're also capturing high-quality companies outside of the U.S. The last ETF that you want to have in your $500 aggressive portfolio is the BND ETF, which stands for the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund ETF. Now look at this. So we have the 366 for the VOO, $52 for VXUS, which is the International Stock Index Fund ETF, and then you have $72, which is what one share of BND costs right now. If you break it out by how risky your portfolio is, your fixed income assets, which is the BND, is 15% of your portfolio. Now, the other 85% consists of stocks, both the S&P 500 stocks and then also the international stocks. So with the S&P 500 ETF and then also the VXUS, which is the total international ETF, you have that immediate diversification in high-quality companies. And then with the BND, you have that fixed income asset that provides stability to your portfolio. Now, this is an aggressive portfolio because only 15% of your portfolio 
is in a stable fixed income asset, which is the BND. And if you add up all these three ETFs, you'll pay about $490. So you still have $10 left to buy a fraction of a share, or you can also invest it into crypto. If we move over to the conservative $500 portfolio, we're going to make some slight changes. So we're going to keep the FIOO, that's the foundation of your portfolio, and we're going to buy two BND shares, which will bring your fixed income assets to 28% and your stocks to 72%. If you add this all up, you get a little over 500 bucks, you get $510. The reason why this is more on the conservative side is because you have 28% of your portfolio in a fixed income asset. The way to think about fixed income assets, I like to use the John Bogle method. This method says that whatever your age is, needs to be your percentage in fixed income assets, such as bonds, certificates of deposits, savings accounts, etc. So when we look at the bonds, I'm going to take 30 years as the average. I'm assuming that we are all 30 years. Now, depending on how risk occurs or how risky you want to get with your investing, you don't need to put 30% in bonds. You can go even less or even a little bit more. So let's say you are 30, but you only want to have 20% in fixed income assets, just tailor your portfolio to hit that correct percentage. Now, like you have already noticed with the conservative portfolio, we got rid of the total international ETF. If we now move over to the aggressive 1000 portfolio, now it gets a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting because we're going to introduce some individual stocks. So we're still going to keep the same ETFs, but we're going to add some additional stocks to it also. I want you to add two growth stocks and two dividend-paying stocks of your choosing. But make sure you still hit that $1,000. It's fine to go slightly over or slightly under, but try to keep it in that $1,000 range. So in my list, we have VOO, which is the foundation of the portfolio. We have one VXUS, which is the international stock ETF. We have two BND. We have one Tesla, which is a growth stock. We have one Amazon stock, also a growth stock. And then we have two dividend paying stocks. The first one is Realty Income and the second one is Nike. So looking at the cost, COO 366, VXUS $52, BND since we have two, 144, Tesla $194 currently, Amazon $99, Realty Income $64, and Nike $105. If you add all these up, you're a little bit over a thousand, you're at a thousand and twenty-four dollars. But like I said, these are the two individual dividend paying stocks and growth stocks that I choose. You can switch them out and pick your favorites. With aggressive one thousand dollar portfolio, also similar to the aggressive five hundred dollar portfolio, the aggressive one we have fourteen percent in fixed income assets because we bought two BND ETFs. Moving over to the more conservative one thousand dollar portfolio. We're going to keep the same stocks and ETFs, but we're going to make some slight changes. What I'm going to do is we're only going to have one growth stock and one dividend paying stock. And we're going to go up on our fixed income asset because we want to get it into that 30% range. So this is what it will look like. We're still going to keep VOO 1, which is 366. VXUS, we're going to keep 1. We're going to up BND from 2 to 4. We're going to have 4 BND ETFs. Tesla, and I'm keeping Realty Income. Realty Income is a monthly dividend-paying stock, so you'll have the benefit of seeing monthly dividend payments deposited in your account. With this conservative portfolio, your fixed income assets, your bonds, are at 30%, and then 70% is at stocks. If you add up all your capital, you will spend about $964.00 with this conservative portfolio. So you still have a little bit of leg room. You still have a couple of dollars to invest in a different security. With the portfolios that I just talked about, you can take those, both the aggressive and the conservative, and then apply to your own situation, of course. So you might want to fudge some of the numbers a little bit, maybe switch out a stock here or there, and then make it your own. You might be thinking, okay, I like these portfolios. I'm ready to start investing. Where do I start? Nowadays, it's extremely easy to start investing because all you need is a brokerage account. Some of the more popular ones are going to be Robinhood, Ally, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade. You have a plethora of options. All you have to do is go to the particular website, fill out your information, get your login information, deposit your capital, 
and you're ready to go. Make sure that you only invest when you're starting out during business hours. Don't trade during after hours, either pre-market or after the market closes, because that's another level of risk that if you're just starting out investing, you don't want to mess with. Another cool thing about brokerage firms nowadays is that you don't have to pay commission fees when you buy or sell shares. Back when I first started out investing, I had to pay $5.99 to $6.95 just to buy and sell stocks. But nowadays, brokerage firms have different ways to make money, such as order routing, but that allows them to give you commission-free trading. And even if you have less than $500 to invest, you might only have $100 to invest. Still go ahead and start investing because you can buy fractional shares. So you don't even need to buy a whole share. You can buy a fractional share of, let's say, a company such as Apple or even Amazon. If a company pays a dividend, if you buy a fraction of that share, you also get a fraction of that dividend. So even if you only have 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you want to invest in Coke, but you don't have enough money, go ahead and buy the fractional share. And then you also get that fractional dividend. Another good thing about investing with a low amount of capital is that emotionally you'll be able to handle the ups and downs of the stock market. Because if you only have a small amount of capital invested, you're going to be less inclined to make immediate decisions when it comes to selling stock when you see the value of your stock dip down. Now, what's not going to happen with only $500 to $1,000 is that you're not going to become a millionaire overnight. So you do have to be realistic when it comes to investing a small amount of capital. There are stories out there where somebody had only $10,000 to invest. They started investing in penny stocks or they started doing some day trading and they became millionaires. You have to be skeptical when you hear those stories. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. It's best to look at investing as a long-term journey. So you start out with a small amount of capital might be 100 bucks, might be 500, might be 1000. You invest your capital, you learn the process of investing, and then you just add more capital to invest on a frequent basis. Also called dollar cost averaging, but that's how you want to approach investing. Don't look at it as a get rich quick scheme. Look at it as you're building your wealth over the long term. And when you're starting out with a small amount of capital, you'll be able to go through the ups and downs because it's fine to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, even myself. Every now and then I might buy a stock that ends up being a dud. But since I'm diversified, I have my capital in multiple securities. Even if I take one hit, overall, I'm still sleeping fine. You might also be thinking, you know what? Forget the stock market. I'll take my $500 to $1,000 and I'll invest it in the crypto market. I'm always going to be the type of person to tell you, yes, go ahead and do it. But make sure you take calculated risk. Because even myself, I'm also invested in the crypto market. What I would recommend is that you have a separate budget for the crypto market. So keep them separate. Make sure you invest in the stock market. But then if you want to, you can also invest in the crypto market. And just keep in mind that the crypto market is also a lot more speculative than the stock market. Because even if you look at the stock market, when it comes to some of the companies that we invest in, the price of the stock should be based on the earnings of a company, how well the company is performing. But when it comes to the crypto market, there are no underlying metrics that you can analyze in order to figure out how much a crypto is actually worth. So it's all based on speculation. So you're ready to invest your $500 to $1,000. Make sure you give yourself a pat on the back because this is a big deal. You might not look at it like that. You might think that, oh, I'm only investing a small amount of capital. But don't look at it like that because it's a mindset shift. You're doing something totally new. You're starting to invest in the stock market. And also, you might like it so much and get addicted to it, but in a good way that you will try to find other ways and other methods of generating some capital in order to invest in the stock market and start building your wealth. The five best dividend paying stocks. Now, this is exciting to me because this is where I shine when it comes to investing. There's nothing more interesting and exciting to me than buying a company that pays a dividend when it's selling at a discount and then just holding on to it. And while you're holding on to it, you're making passive income or residual income in the form of a dividend every quarter or every month, depending on which company you buy. But because you also bought it at a discount, you also have the possibility of seeing some unrealized capital gains. So it's a win-win situation for me. 
It's also more of a set it and forget it. You buy it once. If you do the research, you want to buy a good company, of course. And then you just hold on to it and enjoy the passive income that you generate. Not only do I look at dividend income as a passive way of making money, it's also a way of making money that grows faster than inflation because a lot of companies, they don't only pay a dividend, they also grow their dividend. Some companies might also pay a special dividend every now and then. So it's a very hands-off way of investing. It allows me to sleep well at night. So even if the stock market is trending down, I don't lose any sleep because I'm still holding on to my dividend-paying stocks because they still pay a dividend. That dividend increases faster than inflation. I reinvest that dividend to get more dividend income. And while I'm holding on to the stock, the price still has the potential to bounce back and I can see my capital gains rise up. Dividend investing might not be a fast way of making money, but it's a stable and consistent way of making money. I can plot my dividend income in, for example, an Excel spreadsheet and track how much money I'm potentially going to make year after year, depending on how much I invest in dividend paying companies. This is not something that I can do as efficient with just looking at capital gains. Because with capital gains, the stock price or your investments are going to fluctuate year over year. So yes, you might see one year your investments grow by 9%, but the next year your stocks might have actually lost and dipped down in value. Let's just jump into the first one that's on the list, which is going to be Nike. Now Nike, famous for their footwear, of course. That's how Phil Knight started out the company, by selling shoes. But Nike is known for more than just their shoes. They also sell fitness clothes. And when it comes to endorsements, Nike has partnered with the best athletes in sports. Athletes such as LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Rafael Nadal, Tiger Woods, and the list goes on. Whenever any of these athletes wear Nike clothing, it brings their fans to Nike, of course. It brings visibility to Nike. The three main brands that Nike owns are going to be Nike, Jordan, and Converse. From a dividend perspective, Nike has paid a continuous dividend since 1997. That's more than 20 years. They grow their dividend on average, if you look at the 5 to 10 year average, by 11%. And their payout ratio is at 35%. The payout ratio, if you think about it, you take the net income that a company generates, a portion of that net income is paid out as a dividend to the shareholder. For Nike, it's 35%. I like it at 35% because... A company that has a higher payout ratio, let's say it's 90%. If a company has a bad year when it comes to net profit or net loss, they might not be able to pay out a dividend. So having that cushion of 65% because they only pay 35% out as a dividend, I like that because they have a cushion where they can still raise the dividend and not be in any financial problems. And also a fun way of looking at it is whenever you own Nike shares, If you see somebody walking around outside in Air Jordan shoes or even Nike clothing, a portion of that sale is going to come to you as a dividend. The second company on the list is AbbVie. Now, AbbVie is in the healthcare sector. It's a biopharmaceuticals company. In layman's terms, they create medicine to try to get rid of illness. It's a $255 billion company. And this was actually a spinoff because in 2013, they spun off Abbott Laboratories. From a dividend perspective, this company has paid an increasing dividend since 2013. And they've been able to grow their dividend by 20% on average year over year since 2013. From a payout ratio standpoint, their payout ratio is higher than what we saw with Nike. Their payout ratio is at 74, but they've been able to consistently generate revenue and they've been able to grow their revenue between 11 to 15%, which also means that they've been able to grow their dividend also. Number three on the list is Microsoft. Now, the funny thing about Microsoft is that people don't focus on Microsoft compared to other companies. Companies that you always hear about are going to be your Teslas, Google, Facebook, even Apple. But Microsoft is a $1.6 trillion company. One thing that's interesting about Microsoft also is that they have their hands in so many different business ventures. Not something that I necessarily like, but it works for Microsoft. 
Of course, Windows, GitHub, Xbox, Azure, which is the competitor of AWS, which is the technology infrastructure. Microsoft is doing extremely well. And from a dividend perspective, this company has paid a continuous dividend since 2003. They've been able to grow their dividend on average by 11% year over year. And their payout ratio is at 25%. So everything is pretty much looking in the up and up for Microsoft. Number four. Four on the list is PepsiCo. The Pepsi company being a $244 billion company. The thing that I like about this company is that it's extremely easy to explain what this company does, even to a little kid. Because Pepsi, of course, they produce beverage drinks. But that's not the only thing that Pepsi does because a lot of people don't know, but Pepsi owns a slew of brands. Brands such as Gatorade, Lay's Potato Chips, Doritos, Quaker Oats, and the list goes on. From a dividend perspective, PepsiCo has paid a continuous dividend since 1973. That's almost coming up on 50 years. And not only have they been able to pay a continuous dividend since 1973, they've also been able to grow their dividend, if I look at the last 5 to 10 years, by around 6%. If I look at their payout ratio, their payout ratio is a little bit higher at 64%, but with the track record of Pepsi company paying out an increasing dividend, they've been through so many economic bumps. Think about the Great Recession the Y2K crash. Even through all those dips in the stock market, the Pepsi company has been able to still pay a dividend and increase their dividend above the average inflation rate. That's why I like the Pepsi company and I have them on my watch list, but I also bought stock in the company. And for number five, I wanted to throw in a different company, a company outside of the US because all of the number one through four are going to be US companies. This one is actually outside of the US. It sells famous products also. This is the Unilever company. Now the Unilever company is actually a British consumer goods company. So the UK owns this company. Some of the brands that they own, you've heard of them, but you never thought they were owned by Unilever. These brands are going to be Ben and Jerry's, Dove, Hellman's. Think about the, the Mayo. From a investing standpoint, the interesting thing about companies that are outside of the US is that from a dividend perspective, they pay an increasing dividend, but you have to look at the trend line because you will see the dividend income go up and down, but you have to look at the trend. You'll see the trend be a upwards trend. Unilever has paid a consistent dividend since 2008, and they've been able to grow their dividend by around 6%. Their payout ratio, they keep it at around 64%. So all in all, Unilever is one that you need to have on your watch list and buy when it's trading at a discount. While I'm talking about Unilever, let's touch on ADRs, which stands for American Depository Receipt. If you want to invest in a company outside of the U.S., because keep in mind, not all great companies are just within the U.S. Outside of the U.S., there are also companies that you need to pay attention to. Are you tired of feeling lost in the world of trading and investing? Get informed and inspired with the Talking Trading Podcast. I'm Louise Bedford, and I'll help you navigate the markets like a pro. Tune in each week and subscribe now at talkingtrading.com.au or on your favorite podcast app or check out the link in the show notes. Talking Trading, this is how traders excel. For example, Unilever. If a company wants to go public and be traded on a stock exchange, it usually does that within the country that it's in. So in the U.S., we have the NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange. If you go overseas, let's say London, you have the London Stock Exchange. If you look at Amsterdam, you have the Euronext Amsterdam Stock Exchange, and the list goes on. Most countries have a stock exchange unless they're so small and they don't participate in the buying and selling of securities. Most companies are not going to go through the hassle of being listed on different stock exchanges. So a company in Brazil is probably going to be listed on a Brazilian stock exchange, but they're not going to do the due diligence to also be listed on the American stock exchanges and the London stock exchange. An ADR then allows you to buy stock in companies that are not in your current country's stock exchanges. So in the case of Unilever, the ticker symbol being UL, you can buy Unilever on the New York Stock Exchange. 
Now, some other notable dividend-paying companies. I have my handy-dandy watch list. Costco, McDonald's, The Hershey Company, Sherwin-Williams, Visa, Union Pacific Corporation, Lowe's, Genuine Parts Company, Johnson & Johnson, Texas Instruments Incorporated, Clorox, Colgate, The 3M Company, Kimberly-Clark, T. Rowe Price, McCormick & Company, Inc., Church & Dwight, Hasbro, Coca-Cola Company, and Brown Foreman Corporation. Five dividend-paying companies under 50 bucks: Flower Foods, Hormel, Fastenal, Kroger, and the CXX Corporation. We went over a lot of good information on these dividend-paying companies, but you still want to make sure that you buy them when they're selling at a discount. Because as a value investor, you don't want to buy something when it's too expensive. So a good way of looking at how expensive or cheap a company is, is by looking at the price-to-earnings ratio, the P.E. ratio. With dividend-paying companies, I like to see a P.E. ratio of 15 or less. You can also do 20 or less. I prefer 15 or less. Investing in dividend-paying companies is a steady way of building your wealth over time. It's not a fast method that you can see with growth stocks, but with dividend companies, I can plot my dividend income into the future. I cannot do that with growth stocks because they're a lot more volatile. But with dividend-paying companies, yes, I pay attention to the price of the stock, but I also definitely pay attention to the dividend income that I get. And I make sure that whenever I get the dividend income, I invest in companies that can grow their dividend income. I take that dividend income and reinvest it, or I take it and I invest it in different companies that pay a dividend. I also take my own capital and invest it in dividend paying companies. And then some of these dividend paying companies also pay a special dividend every now and then. So it's a snowball effect. Let's talk about four awesome dividend ETFs slash index funds. Now, I call dividend ETFs autopilot passive income because all you have to do is invest a little bit of money and you're collecting dividends on a frequent basis and you don't have to do anything for it. It's extremely passive. Another benefit is also that you are immediately diversified in dividend paying companies that you're getting your income from. You don't have to go out there and do the fundamental analysis to make sure that you're picking and choosing the correct dividend stocks to purchase in order to get that dividend income. Also, the fund managers of these dividend index funds and dividend ETFs, they are managing this dividend ETF and making sure that they're buying and selling the right dividend stocks for that portfolio. And all this is a big benefit because even myself, I'm a value investor, so that means I like to analyze companies using a screener add them to my watch list and buy them at the right moment. But even myself, I see the benefit of having a dividend ETF because it's not only about buying these companies, it's also about managing them, maintaining them, making sure that the companies that you bought are still good enough to be in your investment portfolio. And if you're the type of investor that does not have a lot of knowledge or time to go out there and analyze individual stocks, a dividend ETF or index fund is the right way to go. Now, can you get rich off dividend ETFs? You definitely can. It's more of a slow process because with the dividend ETF, the price of your ETF is going to fluctuate, of course, but your dividend income, you will get that on a frequent basis. So it's more of a slow and steady way of building your wealth, but it's more stable. It's more consistent. It's something that you can rely on. If you're just starting out investing and you're really interested in how dividends work, that's the best place to start. Start out with a dividend ETF. See what type of companies are in your dividend ETF and then you can take it from there. If you want to take the next step and then invest in individual companies, you have a good baseline to start with just by looking at some of the companies that you are invested in in the dividend ETF. However, for this hands-off approach, you will have to pay a fee, which is called the expense ratio. But the expense ratio is so low, it's worth it. It's worth it to just invest in a dividend ETF compared to using your free time to start analyzing companies and you're not even sure and you're not even confident in what you're investing in. At least with a dividend ETF, yes, you're paying the fee, but you know that you're investing in the right type of fund that will see your wealth grow. Now, looking at the first ETF, this one is going to be the fee IG which is the Vanguard Dividend Appreciation ETF. 
If you're looking for the index fund equivalent, you want to go with the FDADX, which is the Vanguard Dividend Appreciation Index Fund Admiral Shares. Now, with this ETF, 97 to 98% of it is invested in U.S. equity, which pretty much means U.S. companies, all large cap companies. Out of those large cap companies, 20% of those are invested in the financial sector. And the top three companies are United Health Group, Johnson & Johnson, and Microsoft. This fund has an average 2% when it comes to the dividend yield. Dividend yield explains simple, how much dividend are you getting for the price that you're paying? So if you paid 100 bucks for an ETF and the dividend yield is 2%, you'll get $2 in dividend income. So yes, this is a 2% dividend yield on average. And then the expense ratio is extremely low for the dividend ETF at 0.06%. And going back to the dividend yield, don't look at a lower dividend yield of let's say 2% as a bad thing because with that dividend yield of 2%, whenever you get a dividend in an ETF or an index fund, you're actually reinvesting that dividend to buy more dividend paying companies. So in this case, that 2% allows you to compound your money and build your wealth. Hey you, yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. Number two is the Swap U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, also found under the ticker symbol SCHD. Now, with this particular ETF, 99% is invested in U.S. equity, all large-cap companies, with the highest percentage being in the financial sector, which is 21%. And then the top three companies are Merkin Company, Amgen, and IBM. This ETF also has a very low expense ratio at 0.06%. And then the dividend yield is a little bit higher at 3%. So SCHD is a must-have in your investment portfolio. Number three is the Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, which you can find under the ticker symbol VYM. And then if you're looking for the index fund equivalent, it's going to be VHYAX, which is the Vanguard High Yield Dividend Index Fund Admiral. Now with this ETF, 97 to 98% also invested in U.S. equity, also large cap companies, but the top three sectors in this case are going to be financials, consumer staples, and healthcare. And then the top three companies in this ETF are ExxonMobil, Johnson & Johnson, and JP Morgan. This ETF also has a very low expense ratio at 0.06%. And then the dividend yield on this one is also 3%. And number four, this is the highest dividend yielding one, which is the VNQ, which is Vanguard Real Estate ETF. Now in the real estate sector, you will always have a higher dividend because they pay a higher amount of dividend income out of their net income. With this particular ETF, 99 to 100% invested, of course, in U.S. equity, mostly mid-cap companies. And then this ETF does have a little bit of a higher expense ratio at 0.12%, but not that high compared to what you will see when you look at mutual funds. This ETF is 100%, of course, invested in the real estate sector. And then the top three companies are Prologis, American Tower, and Crown Castle Company. Another great benefit that you have with investing in dividend ETFs compared to a growth ETF will be what's happening in the stock market. Because if you think about the bull and bear market, so a bull market is whenever the stock market on average is trending up, we're in a bull market. But the bear market is the opposite. So whenever the stock market is trending down, we're in a bear market. Whenever the economy is in an uptrend, people are more optimistic and they spend more money on consumer goods and even services. They also spend more money in buying investments. So the stock market is going to rise. But in a bear market, people are pessimistic. The economy might not be doing too well. We see sky high inflation. 
So people might panic and sell their stock, they might sell their shares, they might even sell their ETFs. So by investing in a dividend ETF, those can weather the storm better compared to other types of ETFs, such as a growth stock ETF. The easiest way of looking at dividend ETF investing is by also thinking about dollar cost averaging. With dollar cost averaging, you're investing a specific amount of money at a frequent basis. So for example, you might be investing 100 bucks every week, or you might be investing 1,000 bucks every month. With dollar cost averaging, you're allowing yourself to buy stocks, or in this case, ETFs or index funds. It doesn't matter if the price of the ETF is up or down, it always averages out. Because you're adding more money to your ETF when the stock market is in a bull market, but also when it is in a bear market. That means you're averaging it out. It's a way of investing without being emotional about investing. You're taking your emotions out of investing. Because more than likely, if the stock market is crashing or we are in a downturn or an economic recession, you're less likely to invest. But with dollar cost averaging, you're allowing yourself to invest when stocks and even dividend ETFs or dividend index funds are selling at a discount. So you're buying them cheap. Looking at these dividend ETFs and even thinking about dividend paying companies, if you want to find individual ones, there are different methods that you can use. One of those methods is the dogs of the Dow method in buying dividend paying companies. So with the dogs of the Dow, if you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that consists of 30 high quality blue chip companies. A blue chip company is a stable company that is the leader in the market. It has a track record of success. And it's a large cap company or even a mega cap company. Now with the dogs of the Dow method, the Dow consisting of 30 high quality dividend paying companies, what you do is you take 10 companies out of the 30 that have the highest dividend yield and you buy them at the beginning of the year. You wait a whole year and then you do the same method. Now the reason why you want to take the 10 highest yielding dividend paying companies is because the dogs of the Dow already has 30 high quality companies. And if a company has a high dividend yield, that means that the share price is low compared to the dividend yield, which means that in the future, potentially, the price of the stock is going to go up anyway. So you're having a double effect of collecting the dividend, but also waiting for the share price to potentially go up. Another method that a lot of dividend investors like to use is to look at a specific list, such as the dividend kings, the dividend aristocrats, the dividend champions or the dividend achievers. These are lists of dividend paying companies that have paid a continuous dividend in the last 50, 25, or even 10 years. So the dividend king is a list of companies that have paid a continuous dividend for 50 plus years. The dividend achievers is a list of companies that have paid a dividend for at least 10 years. One thing to pay attention to though, even if you look at these lists with companies that have paid a continuous dividend, you wanna make sure that on a yearly basis, the dividend growth has been higher than inflation. So to me, it doesn't matter if a company has been paying out a dividend for 25 years. If they don't increase their dividend on a yearly basis faster than inflation, then that's not a company that I invest in. So why go for an ETF versus an individual stock? Now, you can still do both. You don't have to pick and choose one or the other. But with the ETF, like I already mentioned, you have immediate diversification. You have a fund manager or multiple fund managers that are managing that ETF compared to a individual stock where you have to go out, do the research, you don't have that immediate diversification because it's just one company. But what I've noticed by investing in individual companies is that my dividend yield is better compared to the dividend ETFs. But there's a price that you have to pay. The ease of investing using the dividend ETFs or going out there and analyzing specific companies and then adding them and buying them when they're selling at a discount, you will get a better yield. So if you look at the two, you just have to weigh the risk with the benefits. Now, another question that you might be thinking of, a dividend ETF versus a growth stock ETF versus an S&P 500 index fund or ETF. Which one of these three should you be paying attention to? Like I always say, you don't have to pick and choose a specific one because the better portfolio would have a specific amount of money invested in each of them. 
Now, if you want to make it more technical, yes, you can have those three ETFs, dividend, growth, S&P 500. But then I'm also going to add a bond fund, so a bond ETF, an international ETF, and then you can also add some individual companies, whether they might be growth companies or even dividend-paying companies into your investment portfolio. I like dividend ETFs. I'm always going to be a value investor who likes to invest in individual companies, but I definitely see the benefit of investing in ETFs because even myself, I don't always want to analyze specific companies and then always have to manage them, making sure that they pay their dividends on time, make sure that they didn't cut or stop paying a dividend. In an index fund or an index ETF, you don't have to worry about all that management because the fund manager is being paid to manage and handle all these different issues that might pop up. So for example, I invested in the Disney Corporation and a couple of other companies when they paid out a dividend, but the Disney Corporation and these other companies ended up stopping their dividend payments. So I was able to catch most of them at the time that they stopped the dividend payments. But some of them I didn't know about until I logged in to see if I got my dividend payment. And I noticed that I didn't. And I had to figure out why. And that's when I noticed that these companies also stopped paying their dividend. With an ETF, I wouldn't have to manage all this. I wouldn't have to be able to keep up to date with all these dividend paying companies. That's why the dividend ETFs and the dividend index funds that I talked about are a big plus and a big advantage in my book. Let me know which dividend ETF or dividend index fund you're interested in from this list. Leave a comment. Also, make sure to like this video and subscribe to my channel. And I'll talk to you in the next one. I've noticed that there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the different investing accounts that you have access to. And then also the different retirement accounts that you have access to investing for your retirement. So I'm particularly talking about accounts such as the 401k, the IRA the Roth versions of those accounts, the traditional brokerage account, and then also the self-employment retirement accounts. What I want to talk about are some of the differences between these accounts, things that you need to pay attention to, also the limitations with some of these accounts, and then the disadvantages and some of the advantages, and then also some of the things that you have to think about when it comes to taxes and the employee-sponsored investment and retirement accounts, versus the ones that you can open outside of your employment. Let's talk about the first one, which is the 401k. Now, a 401k is an employer-sponsored retirement account. Not all employers offer a 401k, but most of them do. Previously, employers offered pension plans to their employees, but they all started opting in for 401ks instead. With a pension plan, managing your investments was being done for you. But with a 401k, is being pushed to the employee to manage their own investments. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. With a 401k, you have a slew of options in different securities that you can invest in, such as mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, and even target date funds. The cool thing about target date funds is that you have an investment that automatically rebalances itself the closer it gets to your retirement age. So let's say you have a target date fund that says target date fund 2050. That means that the closer we're getting to the year 2050, that target date fund is automatically going to rebalance itself into a more stable, more conservative investment fund. Now, some additional cool things about a 401k is that most companies match your 401k contribution. So you might see something such as if you put in money, the company is going to match 4% dollar for dollar for example let's say you make fifty thousand dollars as your salary and you invest four percent of your salary into your 401k four percent of 50k two thousand dollars 
If a company matches dollar for dollar, they'll also add an additional $2,000 to your 401k. So you added the first $2,000, they add a second $2,000, now you have $4K in your retirement account. Now, you might also see something like a company matches up to 4%, but they only do $0.50 cents on the dollar. So you invest the dollar and they add $0.50 cents up to 4%. So with that same example, if you make $50K and you invest 4%, which is 2K, the company will match $0.50 cents on your dollar. So they will match an additional $1,000. Even though the company matches your contribution, there's still a vesting period that you have to look at. Because even if the company matches you dollar for dollar or dollar 50 cents, even 25 cents, if you look at the fine print, you will see that you need to work at a company for a few years before you're 100% vested. It might be four years, it might be five years. Every company is a little bit different. You will be limited when it comes to different options you have in investing in different funds or securities. These are always going to be limited by what the company has chosen for the employees. So you're going to have a limited amount of index funds to invest in. You're going to have a limited amount of even stocks, ETFs, or target date funds. Being limited by the number of options you have to invest in in a 401k could be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing. For an investor like myself, that's actually a bad thing because I want to be able to invest in whatever I want to invest in because I do the research. But if you're somebody that's new to investing or you're not that well-first when it comes to the stock market, then having a smaller list of options is probably best for you because otherwise you're going to get paralyzed when you have way too many options to choose from. Some employers also offer you a discount if you buy the company shares. With companies, you always want to do the research to know that you're investing in a high-quality company. But I'm assuming that if you're working for the company, more than likely it's a great company to invest in also. There is a limit to how much you can invest in your 401k. Currently, it's a little over 20000 Every single year, it gets raised up a little bit. And then also, if you're older, you can invest some additional capital in order to catch up. Currently, it's over $6,000. Some confusion happens when people talk about a traditional 401k versus a Roth 401k. So everything is pretty much the same between the two with the options you have when it comes to choosing your investments, but you are taxed differently when it comes to the traditional 401k and then the Roth 401k. The easiest way to remember this is that with a Roth 401k, you're investing with after-tax dollars. And with a traditional 401k, you're investing with pre-tax dollars. With a traditional 401k, when you hit retirement age and you start taking out money out of your retirement account, that's when you're going to get taxed. With a Roth IRA, you're already taxed on the money that you're making. And then the money that's left, that's the money that you invest in your Roth IRA. And then when you hit retirement age, the money that you take out of your retirement account is not taxed at that moment. So which option should you go with? The traditional 401k or the Roth 401k? Now the cool thing about this is that you can have both. So you're not limited by having only one or the other. You can have both. But one thing to think about is if you hit that retirement age, are you planning on being at a higher tax bracket? Because keep in mind, with a traditional 401k, you get taxed when you take out your money during retirement age. So if you're envisioning yourself to be at a higher tax bracket, you might want to opt in for the Roth IRA instead. So it comes down to whatever works best for your situation at your retirement age. The money that you invest in your 401k, can you take it out before retirement age? Retirement age being 59 and a half. You want to be careful with taking any type of money out of your 401k because you might get hit with a penalty. So if you take money out of your 401k, before retirement age, you will have to pay taxes more than likely, and then you will also get hit with a 10% penalty. There are some situations where you are able to take some money out of your retirement account. For example, if you're buying your first home, if it's a medical issue that you need to pay for, there are some exceptions where you can take money out and not be hit with a penalty. But definitely double check the rules when you want to take out any type of money out of your retirement account. You can also borrow some money from your 401k, but you will have to pay it back into your own 401k. But definitely check the fine print on some of these rules because they could slightly change. Now let's look at the next one, the IRA, the Individual Retirement Account. 
You got the traditional IRA, but then you also got the Roth IRA. Now, the IRA is really interesting because if you look at the 401k, you are limited in what you can invest in based on options that have been chosen for you. But with the IRA and the Roth IRA, you have the whole investing world available to you. So if you open up a IRA account, you can automatically invest in all the stocks, bonds, ETF, mutual funds, index funds, everything that's out there. That's a great benefit that the IRA has that the 401k does not have. A limitation of the IRA compared to the 401k though is that the amount that you can invest in your IRA per year is a lot lower than the 401k. Currently, it's over 6,000. Even with the IRA and the 401k, you're not limited by having either or. So you can have different 401k accounts in your name. Then you can also have different IRAs such as the Roth IRA and then the traditional IRA in your name. The thing that you need to keep in mind is that, yes, you can have a Roth IRA and even a traditional IRA, but both still need to add up to your yearly limit in how much you can invest into your IRAs. So you can have both the 401ks and the IRAs. You're not limited by having either or. A good investor will have both because you might max out your 401k and you might have some additional money to invest. So go ahead and open up an IRA and invest that money in your IRA which also gives you total access to the stock market and you're not limited to invest in specific securities. Now, same thing with the traditional IRA versus the Roth IRA. With the traditional IRA, you invest with pre-tax money and then with the Roth IRA, you invest with after-tax dollars. So you will not get taxed when you take money out during retirement. And then with the traditional IRA, you will get taxed at your tax bracket when you take money out during retirement age. And then, of course, some of the same penalties that you see with the 401k, those also apply to your Roth IRA and your traditional IRA. So you're not supposed to take out money before retirement because you'll get hit with the penalty and you might have to pay some additional taxes also. Keep in mind that the IRA accounts are not employer-sponsored accounts. So you're not going to get an employer match with these accounts. And also, if you want to open up an IRA or a Roth IRA account, You'll have to do that outside of work. You'll have to go to one of the big name brokers such as Fidelity, E-Trade, Ally, TD Ameritrade, etc. One thing you need to be careful with is having way too many investment accounts and retirement accounts open. So you work at one company, you open up a 401k, you end up moving to a different company after a year, you open up a new 401k, and then you move to a third company, you have a new 401k, and in the meantime, you also opened up a couple of IRA accounts here and there, what you need to start doing is condensing them and making sure that you don't have too many 401ks out there because it's going to get confusing during tax time and it's also going to be hard to keep up with having so many different 401ks open. Also, if you leave a 401k open at a previous employer, more than likely you're going to have to pay some additional management fees and that's going to come out of your investment. So the best thing to do is roll over your 401k either into the new employer's 401k or you can also roll over your 401k into your IRA. Make sure it matches. So you want your traditional 401k to roll over into a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA. Now whatever you roll it into, make sure that it works for you because yes, you can take your 401k and roll it over into the new company's 401k, but then you will also be limited by what the company offers. Or you can take that 401k and then roll it over into an IRA, which pretty much means you will be able to skirt that six and a half or 6,000 plus limitation for the Roth IRA. And then you'll be able to invest in whatever you want to invest in. So all this might still be a little bit confusing because you're just starting with investing and you're like, okay, Gio, I just want to invest. I have X amount of money. I just want to start investing. I don't want to know about penalties. I don't want to know about different rules. I don't want to know about rollovers. What should I do? Well, the easiest thing you can do is start a traditional brokerage account, also just called a brokerage account, with a company like Robinhood and even Ally, TD Ameritrade, etc., etc. Just open up a brokerage account. You don't have to worry about penalties, selling your shares, selling your stock, and then get hit with a fee. Because with a traditional brokerage account, you can buy and sell. You can day trade, you can swing trade. Now also with a traditional brokerage account, you can open up a margin account. With a margin account, you're allowed to invest with borrowed money. Investing in itself is already very risky. But then 
taking on borrowed money, that means that you're bringing your investing risk to a new level. Investing with a margin account and investing with borrowed money, as long as your funds don't fall below a certain level, you will not get a margin call. Whenever you get a margin call, this pretty much means that you need to get your funds up back to a specific level by either selling the investments that you own in your margin account or you need to deposit some new capital in your margin account. But yes, investing with a margin account should only be left for the professionals out there. Don't start opening up margin accounts if you're new to investing. So even if I think about all these different accounts, the way I would do it is if you have a employer-sponsored 401k and they offer a specific match, I would definitely start there first. Make sure you are invested in your 401k because you're going to get the match. Then the next thing I would do is open up a IRA and invest some additional money into my IRA, which will give me the option to invest in whatever I want to invest in. I'm not limited with investing in only specific securities like with the 401k. And then once I have that set up, I'll open up a traditional brokerage account and I can use that traditional brokerage account to pretty much experiment and have fun with investing. For example, you can open up a Robinhood account, deposit some money in there, start buying shares, fractional shares, dividend paying stocks, and see how you're able to fare in the stock market and grow your wealth. If you're self-employed, you also have access to similar retirement accounts. So some of these are gonna be the Solo 401k, the SEP, which is the Simplified Employee Pension, the Simple IRA, and then the Defined Benefit Plan. Eight investing mistakes that will leave you broke. There's a lot of misinformation out there and I'm here to dispel it. Some of these mistakes I've made myself or I might know friends or family members that made some of these mistakes. Hopefully you will learn from our mistakes. The first thing you have to pay attention to are the investing gurus. You always want to be careful with people talking to you and giving you advice on what type of stocks you need to invest in. Because the biggest issue that I have with these investing gurus is that they will tell you when you should buy a specific stock, but they never tell you when to sell that stock when it's not doing well. Not everybody that's giving you investing advice has bad intentions, of course, because some people just like investing. They get hyped up when it comes to companies that they like. So they might like Tesla. They might like Google or Facebook. Out of their good nature, they might tell you, oh, go ahead and invest in Tesla because that's a company that they like. But you always have to pay attention to investing gurus that have a financial component to the advice that they give because there are a lot of gurus that get a kickback if they promote a specific stock or company. So always do your research on who's actually giving you this advice. Is this coming from a person on the television? Is it coming from somebody on the internet? Always do a little bit of digging, a little bit of research to see, okay, are there any financial incentives tied to the advice that this person is actually giving you? The second mistake is investing without doing your research. So this goes hand in hand with the guru because the guru will jump up and tell you what to invest in. You don't do your own research and you just jump and invest in a specific company. This is a quick way to invest in companies that might be worthless. Nowadays, it's extremely easy to do research on a company because all this information is available online. All you need is the company's name, or even the ticker symbol, you can dig into Google, dig into your favorite search engine and start reading what the company does, how much the company is generating in revenue, in sales, in net income, how much debt a company actually has. What you want to do is you want to look at a trend. You want to look at previous years of performance and see if the company has been able to grow its revenue, its sales, etc. Don't just buy something on a hunch. And even if you want to be on the safe side, you can always invest in an ETF or an index fund that tracks an underlying index. The third one is thinking that it's too late to start investing. Sometimes I talk to people that are older, so 50 and up, and they've never invested in the stock market. And they might tell me, okay, it's too late for me now to start investing. But the way I always look at it is that you won't be able to work your whole life. There will come a time where you're physically not possible to work. And in that case, you need to have the money that you've generated over all those years and decades. You need to have that money working for you. So even if you think that it's too late to start investing, you still need to dip your toe into the investing swimming pool because it's not only about you. It's also about your next of kin. This might be your nephews, your nieces, your kids, even other family members. 
And even if you're scared to start investing, you can always start with investing a little bit of money. Nobody tells you that you need to start investing with thousands of dollars. No, you can start small. You don't even need to buy a whole share. You can buy a fraction of a share. So even if you have 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 20 bucks, start where you are. And when you do get more comfortable, that's when you can add more money to invest in different stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, etc. And also when you invest with a little amount, it's a lot less stressful. And it's also going to be a lot more fun. You learn the basics and before you know it, you'll be adding more money. And that brings me to the next one, being too afraid to invest in the stock market. Because people always hear about the horror stories. So they might know a friend or even a family member that put all of their money in a specific stock. That company ended up going bankrupt and they lost all their money. Now, the problem with this is that not investing in the stock market, that might be a big reason why you will go broke. Because the money that you have, yes, you might have it in a savings account or even a checking account, but the money that you have in those accounts will not grow faster than inflation. So when you invest in stocks or even bonds, at least your money is able to keep pace with inflation or grow faster than inflation. So your money retains its buying power. But if you got your money, and you put it under your mattress or even you put it in a savings account which gives you less than one percent in interest your money is going to be worth less over time so in this situation where your money is losing its buying power over time and you're more than likely not able to work in your elder years that's going to leave you broke pretty fast and then the next one is being too emotional when you invest it's easy to get hyped up when you see the stock market in a bull market which means on average the stock market is going up and it's also fun to see your favorite stocks going up over time but what happens when the stock crashes or stock dips down are you going to be emotionally sound enough to still hold on to your stock or are you going to panic and sell your stocks that's something that you will also learn if you start investing with a small amount of money you will see the value of your investments go up and down. But since you started with a small amount, it's not going to hit you that hard. It's only when you have thousands of dollars and even hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in the stock market and you see the stock market dip or crash by 30% or more. Are you going to get emotional then and start selling like crazy? That's something that you do not want to do on a hunch. Even if everybody around you starts selling, you still want to take a step back Take a deep breath and really think about what you're about to do. More than likely, the stock market or the stocks that you're investing in, especially if you're investing in an index fund or an ETF, more than likely, it will bounce back. Now, it might take some time. It might take months or even years for it to bounce back. But at least you're not losing your money because the money is still invested in the stock market. So the loss that you're seeing is an unrealized loss. It only becomes a realized loss if you sell that particular security. Now, number six is falling for a pump and dump. This kind of goes back to the gurus we talk about. So you will have somebody that advertises or tells you that you should buy a specific stock or specific security. They might not only tell you, but they have a whole audience that they're advertising to to buy that specific stock. Everybody ends up buying that stock, in essence, increasing the value and the price of the stock. And when the price is at its highest, that's when these unscrupulous gurus sell all their stocks in that specific company and they make a quick profit. Meanwhile, while they're selling, the stock price is going down and it's crashing and you're pretty much ending up with a stock that is worth nothing. So you just got scammed by the pump and dump method. The funny thing is that my dad actually got scammed with a pump and dump method because this happened back in 2004, 2005. He got a phone call from an investment firm, an investment company that was pitching him a specific stock or a group of stocks to invest in. Now, I was not listening into that phone call because I was not with my dad. But what ended up happening was he invested in that specific security. And within a couple of months, the value of it tanked so much that it was worth nothing. And that experience turned him off from investing for a long time. It wasn't until I started investing and teaching him some of the things to look out for that he got back into investing. He never told me this story. He only told my brother this story. And if he told me this story when it happened, I might have also refrained from investing in the stock market. Luckily, I never went that route. And then number seven is not diversifying. 
So it's easy to get excited about specific stocks and just put all your money in one specific stock. But that's the riskiest thing you can do because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You do want to spread your money across a multitude of stocks, bonds, even securities. It allows you to lower your risk because if all your money is invested in one stock, let's say that company goes bankrupt, you pretty much lose all your money. But if your money is spread out over 10 different securities, even if one ends up crashing or you lose money in one, you still have a good chunk of money invested in the other nine securities that you invested in. Diversifying also puts your mind at ease. It will also make you sleep well at night because you're not only focusing on one particular stock or investment since it's spread out over so many. A good way to diversify without even having to think about it is to buy an ETF or an index fund, anything that tracks the S&P 500. So the Vanguard company has a lot of good ETFs and index funds that you can invest in also. That will give you that instant diversification. And number eight is timing the market. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to time the market. And I know day traders and swing traders are experts at knowing when to buy and sell. Even they themselves take losses. If you're just a beginner who's investing or you're just a novice, timing the market will more than likely not work for you. It's better to just buy and hold. And over the long term, over the long run, you will see your investment grow. Most people that jump into the stock market think that you can get rich fast. But investing shouldn't be looked at like that. For every one story that you hear of somebody getting rich fast in the stock market, there's millions of others that actually ended up losing their shirt. So look at investing more of a slower process of building wealth and getting rich. Now, if you enjoy my content on stock market investing, then be sure to follow my podcast. And check out my show notes below for exclusive premium content that will take your investing to the next level. In the show notes, I also link to my books, my Instagram so you can follow me, and my YouTube channel. I'll catch you in the next episode.